0: hello and welcome back to the bioprocess insider expression platform a semi-regular podcast delving into some of the areas surrounding biomanufacturing that don't quite make it into the news pages of your favorite b2b website bioprocess insider but we believe they're still of interest to the wider biopharma industry my name is millie nelson a reporter for bioprocess insider and while this might be my first time hosting this podcast, I can assure you it's an episode of worth listening to, and definitely not the last time. I'm joined by Stuart Kabishley, Head of Business and Project Development of Advanced Therapies at the University of Birmingham, and Ivan Wall, CEO of 4Plus
1: and Director
0: of the National Training Centre for Advanced Therapies Manufacturing in this podcast we discuss a range of topics related to training in the advanced therapy space and also wider pharma industry this includes training challenges the potential solutions such as virtual reality training Uh, we also discuss apprenticeships and the importance of promoting bioprocessing as a career choice so with that put your feet up sit back relax and enjoy Anna Ivan will be kicking off our first answer. Can you both give insights in how you see the um training sector at the moment uh, the challenges that you're seeing and also I guess the positives that you're seeing?
1: So I think in terms of um, the the training sector for well for advanced therapies in particular Mm -hmm. I think we we need to train a lot of people over the next five years that that's very clear Mm -hmm. and I don't think at the moment that the training initiatives that we have in place Um, meet the throughput demands. I don't think that the university um, courses that we have in place or college courses will meet the skills requirement that we have. So we do we need new interventions. We need interventions that can accelerate the rate at which we can train people and deliver people who are industry ready. So not just people who have a, a certificate that say they've got a degree in biology or in in engineering, but people who've got the right skills to be able to go into to their first jobs and make in make a positive impact or have a positive impact. I, I agree,
2: Ivan, and I think also there's the 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 training around clinical delivery and adoption. Um, you know, absolutely, there's a big gap in manufacturing skilled staff to, to fill manufacturing slots, but it's all well and good as making products if we can't get them to patients or the medics don't know even their existence um, because of the lack of training in junior medical programs to equip the future um, physicians that are going to prescribe these medicines to, to patients. And so really those initiatives need to span the, the full gamut from you know er, early um, graduates and, and even school leavers through to those that are in clinical programs and, and delivery teams to to enable the sector to grow um, you know anywhere near its potential in the next five to ten years.
1: It reflects, doesn't it, that that, that these advanced therapies are they're a new paradigm for medicine. So you know we don't just um, manufacture them remotely um, you know in a manufacturing site and it's sort of a done and dusted activity that happens separately. Manufacturing really starts with taking those samples from the patients and then the, the process really goes right the way through to delivering them back to the patients and so making sure that the training is provided to people at all of those different points of the, of the journey is
0: really important. Widely speaking, in the industry as a whole, lots of people, lots of companies, they have that same outlook of we're growing at such a quick rate. And the talent that's coming through isn't coming fast enough uh, to fulfill the roles that are there um, and the demand that's there. And you both picked up on, especially in advanced therapies, the need to not just be certificate ready and you have your qualifications, you've completed university and the academic side, um, you need to be ready to be able to be in a sense of being in that role and being able to carry out the physical tasks. How difficult do you think it would be to accelerate the speed of training or change the type of training to ensure that the talent that's coming through can go on to do that in a a time-sensitive frame um, that you need them to.
2: I mean, I think one of the initiatives that we've got here in Birmingham is one of the three national training centres. And really that is designed for for exactly the the reason you've described there, getting people through appropriate training, hands-on training and virtual reality training, which Ivan can talk more to. Um, in, in a manner that is, as Ivan described, industry-ready. So so, really to augment those degrees that, that people are coming to us with. Um, and, and it's about building that network now. There, there are training centers here in Birmingham, um, partner organizations in Roslyn and at, at CPI up in Darlington, uh, and making sure we're coordinated so that we can get the maximum number of clients, if you like, through those centers in the next 12 to 18 months to start to fill some of those gaps that are, are already here in the in the workforce.
0: Initiative-wise, um, at the University of Birmingham, is this programme something that every student on particular courses have to take part in? So
2: it's not a mandatory, no, um, and, and that, that's a really good point that we, we need to look carefully at how we signpost the students on the appropriate degree programmes mm-hmm. to these initiatives um, and it comes back to my statement earlier around around clinical staff that you know, the, the same argument is in play for people on you know, non-bioprocess degrees. So people that are doing biomedical science, biological sciences, biochemistry, etc. It's making sure they're aware that this sector is here. This is an exciting sector to be working in. It's transforming medicines and will do for the next Ten to fifteen years to come, at the scale we're going today, so so just you know, getting getting the message to them that there's an alternative to that classic pathway of laboratory medicine, if you like, or, or postgraduate research, um, and that we're here to help you know equip them to to, to be to be
1: um, employable in those roles. I was going to say, you know, part of our remit in the centre is to not just train people, but to really promote careers in the space. And actually talking back to the point about VR, um, one thing that we are doing is we've created a piece of software that's freely available to people. So they need a VR headset to be able to use it. But this software um, basically introduces people to cell therapy being delivered in a clinic and then goes into an experience that walks people around a cell and gene therapy manufacturing facility, shows them the kind of equipment that's used, and then takes them on a journey in, inside the bag of cells and they see that the cells sense. floating around and dividing and then they go into the cell and learn a bit about the cells. So we're now trying to um, roll that out to schools and to colleges and to universities so that students can access that for free. And then we would follow that up with the, the next piece of 4Plus software, which would give people hands-on training in GMP competences, but without them needing to physically visit the clean room.
0: That's so interesting. And it also draws back to the idea that it's not just focusing on those who are maybe in the late stages of education, um, but trying to get interest and harbour potential people who are gonna be working in this sector from a younger age. And that might be that then when they pick their A-levels or they're picking their GCSEs, they might have science or something to do with the sector um, at the forefront. When we speak to people, whether it be at events or um, interviews for Bioprocess Insider content, virtual reality has been coming up a lot more, um, a lot recently. More companies are looking into it and they're bringing it about as part of their initiatives. Um, most of the people we speak to, they say one of the biggest advantages would be that the people using VR they're able to not worry as much about creating real issues in a real lab that could come with huge um, financial implications, which I guess would make you so scared to make a mistake, which holds you back from training. Um, And guess, in a sense, learning what you can can go wrong. Um, Is that what you find as well with the students that are taking part with the VR training?
1: Absolutely. It's it's giving them that training experience to build competence, but also that confidence so they can actually do things in VR and know that there aren't going to be any nasty consequences if they do something wrong. And if they do something wrong, we just press reset and they can start again. And the other huge benefit is that you don't have to gown people up. You don't have to then produce lots of plastic waste that goes into landfill. So in terms of educational programs being able to access this they they can give students um ex- and trainees experience of real industry environments but without having that negative environmental impact um and 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 without actually creating any problems around safety or um or concern about breaking expensive equipment
0: yeah so reducing the pressure i i would assume in the in the real real space And real time. Uh, Stuart, is that something that when you speak about the initiatives not going far enough, is the VR a part of that that you think could be pushed forward and be used more regularly or in bigger spaces in the training program? 100%.
2: If if I could virtualize the majority of my training program for people that I bring into my unit, not only would it allow the unit to be more efficient because we won't be using that space to train. Operators, as Ivan said, it takes the pressure off them and it, it's more than just financial You know, we're, we're making medicines quite often with a one shot You know, we, we have we have a, a start material from a patient that's quite possibly end-of-life care And that's a huge ask to people to sit and, and do relatively complicated manipulations And get it right 100% of the time And, and the other side of VR, you mentioned briefly, is, is around familiarising yourself with failures and quite often, the guys in the units that have not had this exposure to VR, the first time they see a failure is with a real product. Yeah, and that's a big a, a, a really big challenge to get them to um, you know feel confident enough that they can manage those those nuances of failures because they happen, of course. Um, so absolutely we we should be pushing the VR program into as many. Um, training areas as we can to to really ready people for what we hope are never events, but of course they're not. They they happen um, in manufacturing, not infrequently. So yeah, I completely agree.
0: I know we've said how great VR training is um, and it has so many advantages. What would you say the limitations are to it? Because I'm sure... Uh, you can't always imitate real life using VR, there must come a point where some of this training or some of the initiatives need to be physical and in real life. And how do you think the sector or, I guess, individuals need to uh, adapt and change to make that training process better, more efficient, um, quicker, um, Mm. to ensure that you have that talent coming through and and ready?
1: That's right. So I think... With virtual reality, we, at the moment, VR, um, we, we use hand controllers so you can never accurately mimic the the very precise sort of hand manipulations that you might do, for example, plugging a, a piece of tubing into a port on a bioreactor controller. So the, what we are doing is training people in the procedural elements of following the SOP and doing it in the right order and making sure that they can't progress if they've done things in the incorrect order. Um, So it's about teaching them to understand those SOPs where the regulators will want you to sign to say that you've read and understood an SOP. We can actually then say, well, they've read the SOP, they've gone through it end to end in VR with and without instruction. And then they can sign to say that they've understood it with a lot more confidence. Mm -hmm. Now, we don't think that this will ever replace fully hands on training. But what it will do is accelerate that path. So when you go and do your hands-on training, you can reduce the amount of time, the amount of cost, um, the amount of risk within that 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 clean room facility for doing that training because you will have done a substantive amount of it in VR first. And if a training process is in, for example, manufacturing a cell therapy that takes five days to do, where you have multiple manipulations in VR, you can go through procedurally doing each one of them all in a day. Just by running four or five modules in a single training session, rather than having to do it over a period of time, so it, it's about accelerating that process and accelerating the point to which people can do their, uh, you know, physical validation, yeah. um, and and then get them to competence and be able to sign off on that on that training form with confidence that they understand the SOP.
2: I think the other aspect there as well, Ivan, is that. It can give us metrics, and if we take an example of a small fill in a, in a Grade A clean room, so when we train operators for those very manual fill operations, we talk about clean um, work field, not overlapping the open areas of you know processing, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But that's me standing behind them or one of my team standing behind them and giving them pointers where maybe they've not been quite right. The beauty of VR is it can track these things, so you can give them you know, a metric that, you you know, 20% of the time, your hands are crossing over the field of operation, which we want to avoid. And even for the, what you might argue is the mundane, but is critical for facilities to exist, maintenance and cleaning, having training protocols to ensure that you understand the concept of overlapping mop strokes and how you ensure full coverage of facility when you're cleaning down between operations, again we, we can we can get an output that tells us how well a trainee has, has achieved the the task whereas right now it's it's by observation and um, you know we all like we're all, we're all programmed to get scores at the end of the day and, yeah. and having something that gives you a bit of a benchmark helps you realize that or recognize that you've got areas to improve
0: yeah and that's really interesting because i've never heard that aspect of VR training you have something there that you can monitor um, with actual data um, which I guess is a huge advantage especially not just a cohort but an individual level of being able to go to that specific person and say this is something that's cropping up again and again in the training or this is something you're doing really really well um, and it's reported here. Um, With collaboration A lot of people see that as key to making things tick along. Um, Is there particular initiatives, but also the advantages of having kind of academic institutions collaborating, let's say, with workplaces, training centres and other um, institutions to to push along training? Um, And how are they working, whether that's at the University of Birmingham or other examples uh, in both of your careers that you've seen?
1: Yeah, I mean, absolutely. It's important. And and we we do see, um, you know, examples in the UK where academic institutions work closely with industry and bring industry uh, in in to actually provide training to make uh, the education uh, to to students more industry relevant. It tends to happen more readily on engineering courses. simply because that there's, I think there's a much closer link with industry in those courses. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, even ourselves at Birmingham, we have an industry advisory board that we use um, and they help us to shape the training that we deliver and they also come and give guest lectures. So we we have those sorts of um, structures in place, but I would say that they're not universally used. Yeah. So, you know, it, it, it really isn't something that currently is seen as um, as best practice and, and standardized practice across um, it's not something that's seen as standardized practice across um new institutions as yet
0: and is that something going forward you can see happening in the future more um and if so how could you imagine that happening what type of institutions and
1: training programs would would be more likely? Well, we're starting to see apprenticeships really take a hold and universities are involved in delivering level six and seven apprenticeships um, in particular and and also level five as well. Um, So we are starting to see those types of programmes that inherently have much more of of an academic industry partnership leading them because the apprentice is based in the company. And then they spend that time uh, nominally 20 percent of their training time is off the job and within the academic institution so i think i think those kind of um more vocational type um programs where they include a degree as part of the apprenticeship i think they're going to become a lot more prevalent Mm -hmm. um, and i think that's going to be important but but just to i guess flag on that it takes up to 18 months to set up a new educational program from yeah. when you design the program have it approved and then go through the uh, marketing cycle so it's it's not necessarily um, a solution that we're going to see the results of in the next six to 12 months um, but something more that the university is thinking about now will be rolling out in the next sort of two to three years
0: yeah so paving the way for the future um not no quick fixes but something that um, long term will bob
2: again uh, I, I mean the, the apprentices that are out there or the apprenticeships that are out there at the moment uh, are also having benefit you know the other way around in that you know I, I have one of my team as a, as a university employee yeah. on a level seven apprenticeship right now for regulatory affairs and it's it's great because it's giving him exposure to the bigger pharmaceutical sector and regulations around it that I simply don't have access to as a small academic CDMO, um, so, so you know, I completely agree with Ivan. Yeah, the the, the people in companies great getting them into the academic sector to make sure that the training is is there for them. But but we can also benefit as as an academic sector having our um, existing teams, you know, um, work more closely with the, the industry partners that are available in those apprenticeship programs.
0: I obviously don't have direct experience in this. But I can imagine that through having apprentices and taking part in collaborations, there's a, 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 like you said, a give and take with information and maybe issues that haven't been flagged at different points will become flagged. And that will make everything better as a, a journey, a circle um, going forward, because you'll, you'll have a full look at the cycle between starting finishing and being ready to go into the industry
1: yeah and we're already seeing that i think with 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 apprenticeships i mean they've been going a few years now so the the cell and gene therapy catapult have Mm -hmm. obviously championed the the atac the advanced therapies apprenticeship community and they're really supporting the rollout of apprenticeships through the advanced therapies uh, community in the uk and actually we've already had the first cycles of apprentices Um, complete now and so there's data coming back actually on the validity of those Mm -hmm. and and I think the the, you you know the demonstration of success there is that companies are more and more willing and keen to take on apprentices so clearly as as a platform approach to education in the UK that is working for this sector so that's something that we need to grow out more Um, but I mean that, that just comes with the caveat that we cannot rely solely on that um, single sort of route to bring talent into the sector because we we need to train something like 10,000 new people in the next five years.
0: Wow, that's big numbers. Um, I was speaking to um, a recruitment firm at an event and we were discussing the issues and challenges of training um, in the advanced therapy sector, but also um, generally speaking. And one of the issues they flagged was the length of time it can take to train. And then there's a high turnover where a company will hire somebody who's fully qualified. Uh, It might take, say, six months for them to settle into that role, to be fully competent and know the ins and outs of that company. And a lot of the time they're leaving quite soon afterwards. Um, So they're actually only getting, let's say, six months of work out of that person and that was for a a multitude of reasons it was poaching you know people offering more money uh them finding it maybe that they didn't like that job and because it's so competitive it's actually quite hard to retain your staff not just to train them but to make you have such an attractive package to stay to say please stay with us um is that something that you guys are noticing in the industry as well
2: very much, and and actually the the VR piece speaks to to both in two ways to your point there. What one the, the poaching bit is down to the fact we don't have enough people in the field. Mm-hmm. Of course, as soon as they've got six months of experience, they're a value to another client who, who can afford to pay a little bit more. Um, The other side of it, speed of training, Um, you know, typically we say, yeah, six six to 12 months to have somebody completely competent in clean room behaviours and Mm -hmm. be able to be independent in manufacturing a product for for a patient. Uh, And, again, that's because it takes time. You know, it takes takes two months to get them over initial gowning qualifications to get them in a clean room, to -hmm. get them hands-on equipment. So, actually, if you can do in those two-month windows an intense VR programme, then they're already aware of how to operate the bioreactors, they're already aware of how cleaning processes work, how environmental monitoring works. So you're not having to go back and then train again. You're kind of doing as as Ivan said, the you've had it in the virtual world, now demonstrate you can do it real world. Yeah. And arguably that that's almost like a a certification rather than just a rather than a full training event again. So that should significantly reduce the time burden to getting people into into units. And, and I guess the final thing that VR does, it gives people a taste of what a clean room's like. And actually, I'd rather than work out in the first three months of VR training, I don't think I want to do this. Yeah, We have invested tens of thousands in six months to get them into a clean room for them to then announce that that's not their bag.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, it's a challenge, isn't it? And I think, so th- this is where the 4 Plus VR comes in. So we've created training modules in GMP competencies, so um, lab orientation, so to understand what a GMP clean room environment looks like, cleaning, which is the single biggest thing that you do in, 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 a, in a GMP uh, facility, mm-hmm. gowning, and then a sort of compliance slash health and safety module. And in addition, we've created modules in how to use particular pieces of equipment um, to do sort of analytic sampling, um and and analytics on uh samples that you've taken from bioreactors so there's a whole range of modules that we have there for people to be able to to train in um and then you know our 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 step now is to look at how we take data from that to, to basically try and map people to the things that they're good at um, using meaningful data that's coming out on how long it takes people to do things, on how readily they can do things without making mistakes, on how easily they can follow instructions. Um, so, so that really is the, is the the priority now for four plus and the VR that we create. And what we're hoping is that if we can roll it out to the whole industry, mm-hmm. that there is a standardisation in approach to training so when you have staff who have come to you from company a and your company b you know that they've had um a degree of standard training that you also provide now there there are going to be differences in the specific goning procedure or the specific way that you do things even within a company you may have two or three different goning procedures based on 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 what um particular process you're doing Um, but if you know that people have had that that standardised training uh, in the basics, you've got some confidence that actually you can accelerate their training path.
0: Yeah, so making sure that there's something transferable, um, a standardised you're going to come in at, at a certain level, even if that's not necessarily completely specific to what each company needs. You've both touched on the importance of VR training, it seems like it really is something that I think is going to get bigger become more implemented um, and like you said probably become standardized Um, but you've also touched on the need to have more people coming into the sector not just the importance of the people who are in the sector and receiving the training now having I guess being more popular um, and having the the numbers there With so many companies picking up on the same idea in terms of um, VR, um, different ways of training, is there something in particular that the University of Birmingham are doing to make that a choice for the people to come to um, and have that initiative there? Because even though I guess everybody in the field wants more people to come through, be well trained, there must still be a bit of competition to ensure that the academic side of things has enough for people to fulfill the courses um, and push through on that side.
1: So, we, we're using the, um, this, this free piece of VR software, um, the 4 Plus Proteus software, as, as a means of trying to recruit people at, at careers fairs and at mm-hmm. um, UCAS events, basically to put a headset on people and to show them what sort of career options there are at the end of doing a particular course. And we think this is valuable for universities to use that for recruiting people, but also for um, companies to use it as a way of recruiting people, to show people what what that environment will look like and what a day in the life of someone working in that environment would look like. Um, but beyond that, I mean you know this is a problem that's been going on for a number of years now encouraging people to come into the bio industries and if you look at the number of universities in the uk that offer a dedicated bioprocessing related undergraduate program it's still relatively small and if you go into most schools um you still find that that you know even careers advisors in those schools still do not really know what bioprocessing is and and I think that there's an opportunity at the moment, off the back of having just spent two years making COVID vaccine, yeah, to be able to use that as um as a you know as a, as an inspirational um, sort of exemplifier of of what people with bioprocessing degrees do. And 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 then following that from 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 making vaccines into gene therapies that are, that are saving uh, lives and curing um rare diseases you know it's um it's it's a brilliant opportunity to be able to use that as an exemplifier for what these careers can look like so we we just need to roll that out and we need to to really get out to more schools and to more colleges and certainly in our national training center at, at university of birmingham we're working with local colleges and we're trying to really mobilize the local talent pool to inspire um that that sort of future um, workforce. And, and they're only a few years away from entering the workplace um, at different career entry levels. GMP operators, they're likely not going to be degree graduates. They will probably come in from uh, T levels or from um, and from apprenticeships. Yeah. Um, and then obviously we have the, the more managerial positions, um, process development, analytics that may well be sort of degree or PhD. But we, we have a whole um spectrum of career entry points there where we need to really motivate these these um youngsters and and show them what careers look like in our sectors.
0: Definitely. I think that especially when you said a lot of children who are at school um probably haven't heard of the words bioprocessing and what that industry actually does. I mean, I can say from my experience when I was at school, I don't think I had. Um, and the COVID, as much as you know, COVID had a lot of negatives. That is definitely a positive. I think vaccines, what they can do, how they can get us out of sticky situations, um, and the process of that is something that should definitely be jumped on right now and uh, push forward. Because if you're not in the industry or following the industry, I think it's really easy to miss out on really exciting news and not just news, but stories um, about. Uh, amazing, life-saving drugs that probably go under the radar you're actively searching for that information, which I can assume that probably a lot of people are not out of not being interested but not knowing that they could be interested um, in that because it's not widely available.
2: Uh, It's very true, Billy. And even looking out, like I said earlier, to the clinical delivery teams, it, it still surprises me how many relatively... Um, experienced clinicians and, and clinical delivery staff I talk to, that are not really familiar with how these drugs are being prepared for the patients that, that are being treated. You know, of mm-hmm. course they have a, an overview, but you know, if we if we don't have people that are giving the drugs understanding the ins and outs of how they're made, you know, we surely can't expect school leavers, graduates to be be aware. Yeah. So so, Ivan's right. You know, we, we need to we need to tap into this right at the the grassroots of education and make it something that excites people. You know, it's it's an awesome industry to be part of. It's it's explosive and will be like we said for the next ten or fifteen years at least. Yeah. Um, and it's a great opportunity to to get the the future graduates into um, this this area of bioprocessing and 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 manufacturing that otherwise they'd perhaps slip by
0: definitely and i know you said there how can we expect people coming through education to know certain parts if we have people who are in the field who don't know parts do you think fragmentation is an issue here where obviously you're not wanting them to know everything about every role because then i'm assuming everyone would be trained across everything and that would be absolutely crazy but there needs to be uh, more cohesion inside the people who are working on, on it, this
2: yeah it's about appreciation the, the need we need to appreciate how the drug gets from a to b and that that has benefits on many many levels not not least talking to the patient so the patient understands what's happening mm-hmm. but from a manufacturer's point of view our end user our, our clinicians that we supply to having them better understand the complexities of a manufacturing process. Yeah. means that They're better prepared to schedule patients in. They're, they're more aware of where the, the difficulties in achieving doses might be or where failures may occur, um, which, which just makes the sector as a whole more efficient. Definitely.
0: I mean, I've, really enjoyed this conversation it's been really really interesting and there's been points brought up that I haven't ever thought before or come across um, interviewing other people so I I thank you both for that I guess to end on it would be really interesting just to get both of your opinions on I mean let's say a five-year timeline where you would like to see the training programs initiatives and education and the staff coming through and maybe realistically where you think everyone will be in those five-year time
2: the pipe dream would be like i, I said there's 10,000 people fully trained yeah. <laughs> um that may be a tall order i think for me i'd really like to see a more cohesive approach with industry partners training centers like the one we have at, at the university of birmingham companies like four plus mm-hmm. producing um packages that really meet the need of end users like me where we want to put staff into facilities and they're fit fit for the role um st- straight out of the training programs and I think if if we've got that network built then it's then it's down to the job of the careers teachers, the careers fairs, and the universities to really promote that this sector is alive and and there's a there's a there's a a really well-defined pathway through it. I think that that would be a, if in five years' time we have a nice pathway with a steady stream of a few thousand people a year coming out the end of it. I think we've we've won.
1: Yeah. yeah. So I, I agree with that, and I think um, I, th- I think as well having that sort of connectedness between those different career entry points, I think will be important because you know we if if we want to educate people um, on career options. And we want to provide training well actually that there, there is a core of training that's applicable whether you're 15 years old and thinking about what your career may be right the way through to if you're about to graduate with a phd and so having those sort of core um sort of uh, educational and training elements but tailoring them to the different career entry stages i think that will be that will be a great way of actually um developing a continuous training pipeline Um, And and actually, digital transformation of the curriculum through technologies like VR, I think, will be really important for that because you can actually have a 15 year old experiencing what um, a workplace looks like without having to take them to a manufacturing facility. And and likewise, for all career entry levels, it's, it's creating that sort of industry relevance and those environments that really show people what their careers might look like.
0: No, that's amazing. And I definitely think that I can imagine a lot of 15 year olds, if you're showing them VR, it's just straight off the bat going to capture their attention more than a PowerPoint or uh, this is a clean room and this is why you should join. So I definitely think that the the VR seems like it's going to be the future or part of the future in training and in uh Taking up more students, um, but I want to say a huge thank you to you both for joining me today and for the podcast. I um, hope that you've enjoyed it. It's
1: been really good for me. Brilliant.